0: In San Diego County jails, more than 130 people have died in the past 10 years. That's an average higher than one inmate per month every month since 2009, which is the year that Sheriff Bill Gore took office. The circumstances vary. Suicide, heart disease, complications from diabetes and murder. But collectively, they bring into question how the county is safeguarding those who are wards of the state. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. For the past six months, freelance reporter Kelly Davis and Union-Tribune staff writer Jeff McDonald have been looking into why more people are dying behind bars in San Diego. So that's my first question. Why does San Diego have a higher rate of people dying behind bars?
1: As we say in the story, there's there's no easy answer Um you know, we looked at um, we looked at policies. We looked at uh, reports by oversight groups and. Uh, you know lawsuits filed by families of inmates who've died in jail, and and I think there's there's a lot of of things you could point to um, where the policy might have been in place but it wasn't followed, or um, you know training could have could have been improved. So I think as you read these stories, hopefully we've we've uncovered and kind of pointed to a number of of reasons for the deaths in a number of, of areas uh, which the sheriff's department can improve things.
0: Mhm. And uh, Jeff, this is a large story. It took a long amount of time to get all these answers. What was your strategy in trying to piece together a very complicated problem in a cohesive narrative?
2: Well, we started with the data. And every time somebody dies in jail, we get certain documents and reports. Uh, sometimes we hear from the family, sometimes we hear from lawyers. So we started by looking at all the death reports from the sheriff, all the medical examiner's reports from the coroner's office, as many of the lawsuits as we could dig up. And after some time, we built spreadsheets of all the uh, decedents, uh, their families. We looked at the lawsuits and totaled up, you know, how the outcomes came. We compared the number of deaths by year going back two decades. Uh, So it was pretty labor intensive.
0: Mm-hmm. And it goes without saying that we don't want people dying in prison, but if our rate is higher, what is it normally like in other comparable jails around the country?
1: Um, you know, so, so what we found is is there are a lot more suicides in San Diego. Uh, you know, a large uh, jail system like Los Angeles, uh, they, you know, at one point had had 10 suicides in one year. And, uh, that caused a lot of outcry, and, and so they really put an effort into reducing suicides. The next year, that number was cut in half. There were five suicides, and the following year, there was one. Uh Diego in San Diego jails there were a number of years 2013 through 2016 where they had five and, or six people die in a year and, and San Diego of course is a much smaller jail system than Los Angeles so when you see Los Angeles with one suicide and San Diego with with five or six mm-hmm. um, you know that really you know raises a question of, of, of what's going on here and looking at we could look at other jails Orange County, Um, zero suicides in in many years. Um, And then another problem uh, in San Diego, the homicides, we saw a a significant increase in inmate homicides.
0: Mm -hmm. So is that usually the universe of the kind of types of deaths, homicide and suicides?
1: It, it, most of the deaths in, in custody are, are natural deaths, but, um, you know, we looked at some of these deaths that were, were categorized as natural, and those raise questions of, of whether, especially when the inmate was mentally ill, um, were they getting proper treatment? You know, we see people dying from treatable illnesses like pneumonia, like um, a stomach ulcer, like diabetes, and, and so, you know, that brings up the question is of whether they're, they're getting proper medical attention.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, Jeff, can you walk us through the process of what happens when an inmate dies? What are the what is the jail required to do to kind of document that?
2: Well, prior to starting this project, the jail was pretty good about alerting people within 24 hours whenever somebody died in custody. That was their policy, and they generally followed it. Uh, that changed sometime earlier this year, and they they'd no longer do that. In fact, we have uh, seen. At least four people die in recent months uh, since we've uh, been through the editing and production process for this project, uh, and each time we've had to update it. What typically happens when somebody dies in custody is they start an investigation. They interview any witnesses. They interview the staff that was on duty, the first responders, the, the medical providers, nurses, uh, whatnot, even paramedics if they died en route or at a hospital subsequent to their you know, being in the jail cell. Uh, Then somebody else uh, at the medical examiner's office, they do an independent investigation. Uh, Oftentimes the sheriff's department will ask the medical examiner to seal that report which is problematic for members of the public that are interested in tracking this sort of thing. And
1: for family members, for, too, who, when a case is sealed, they, they can't get any information either. Yeah,
2: it's terrible what the families go through. A lot of times uh, they're told that their loved one died in custody, but they're not given any reason. They're not given any circumstances and they're not given any documentation. Wow. And a lot of these families aren't sophisticated enough to go and consult like a lawyer to say and advocate on, on their behalf. Uh, so that's a that's a big problem. Uh, the third independent or the second other independent body that investigates this is the Citizens Law Enforcement Review Board. Uh, but all this stuff happens weeks and months later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it doesn't help the family members or, uh, or, uh, or others uh, that are vested in the, in the, in the decedent's you, you know, life. Um, and sometimes those reports, they have different purposes. So, you know, the medical examiner is looking for a manner of death and cause of death. They're not necessarily looking for negligence. Uh, The Citizens Law Enforcement Review Board is looking to see about misconduct and whether procedures were followed. Uh, The the problem with the CLERB board, the Citizens Law Enforcement Review Board, is that they're only given access to information by the sheriff's department. They don't have – well, they have independent subpoena uh, authority, but they don't often use it. They usually just take the sheriff's department's word for what happened and look at the records that their sheriff's department uh, voluntarily supplies.
0: So I imagine because there are different groups with different goals, that creates kind of varying narratives when it comes to how someone passed away, right?
2: Yes. They they all have different uh, responsibilities and different charges or missions. Uh, There have been a few cases that stuck out in our our, uh, investigation where the coroner's office made one finding, like a death they ruled as a homicide. Uh, Very often the sheriff will disagree with that finding, Earlier this year, for example, the sheriff issued a, a public statement rebuking the coroner's office finding of a of one decedent who died in 2018. Thirteen months after the death, we got the um, autopsy that said it was a homicide. Mm-hmm. And when I asked the sheriff's department about that finding, the sheriff issued a statement saying they disagreed with the coroner, which is a, a pretty significant disagreement.
1: And, um, you know, the lawsuits were really helpful in, in you know... Um kind of pinpointing what went on, but um, one thing we found is that there was this trove of emails that were withheld, emails between the sheriff's department and a contractor they'd hired to provide psychiatric services. All these emails that were withheld from, um, I think it was three or four lawsuits that the emails would have shed light on on what happened to those folks, and um, emails weren't turned over. Um, By the time they were turned over, um, you know, as the cases had been settled or dismissed, uh, we had to, or the, the ACLU went to court to get some unsealed. And, and when they finally did the the, the level of, of negligence and competence and kind of infighting um, and uh, the evidence that this psychiatric provider just didn't really have any experience, um, it, was, it was pretty appalling.
0: Mm-hmm. And it does seem like mental health is a big part of why many of these deaths occur at least as a contributing factor so can you describe how mental health care within the the prisons work and how it could be improved
2: well uh yes they have uh they have therapists that provide counseling to patients uh excuse me to inmates slash patients uh, but accessing the service is really problematic and scattershot. So, there's we talked to inmates who told us they couldn't get an appointment for uh, a routine medical condition, let alone a mental health problem. Uh, some of our findings in our investigations showed that people who were in obvious mental distress uh, were not given opportunities for treatment. Instead, they were like taken down by deputies and corralled and and uh, in some cases, they they died, uh, and we don't even know how often that happens, that we don't hear about when they when they don't expire. Uh, so the idea is that the county provides mental health services and competent medical services to these inmates, but in practice, it just doesn't happen consistently.
1: And we have um, you know family members calling the jails. Um, A dozen times. One woman called 31 times, you know, about her husband saying, please, he's off his meds. Um, Please monitor him. He needs help. And um, they're calling. They're being reassured. You know, don't worry. We'll take care of your son. We'll take care of your husband. And meanwhile, that's not happening at all.
0: So there were some differences in methodology that caused some roadblocks in this project, namely because of the demographics of people who are in the San Diego County jails. It is overwhelmingly white and male. So how do those arguments hold up?
2: Well, the sheriff's department they wouldn't discuss uh, much with us at all on the record. Instead, their responses consisted of some written statements and and you know answers to questions. Uh, so that was a big problem because we couldn't have a regular conversation about our findings. Uh, one of the things they steered us to in response to the high mortality rate was a study that was produced last year at the county's expense uh, that, found, uh, uh, that found the mortality rate was not nearly so high as what the national standard is uh, regarding jail mortality uh, methodology. Uh, so basically, the county devised its own way of tracking these deaths, uh, and, and according to this private, uh, private study that the county paid for, uh, San Diego County was right in line with uh, most of the other large counties in California, and it was not an outlier in any way. Now, if you look at their own data that they reported to the state and the feds that they're required to submit every, every time somebody dies and then every year, annual reports – Uh, the numbers are are notably higher in San Diego County. Uh, So I think the county's um, decision not to engage us on this question set back our reporting a lot because we're trying to understand what happened, and instead of having uh, somebody from the department walking us through their thinking, walking us through their practices, walking us through their methodology, we got a 12-page report that had findings and methodologies that were incongruent with the federal
0: standard. Mm Hmm. That certainly is not ideal. So we've been speaking about mental health. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the failure of health care within the jails because you mentioned that earlier, Kelly. So do you have an example of an inmate that passed away because they didn't get the right medical care?
1: Yeah, one inmate we we wrote about, um, I mean, I can't say for sure whether or not he got the right medical care. There's a lot of information we don't have access to, and this is someone who... Um, had been homeless, um, had been in uh, um, uh, uh, L.A. Um, State Mental Hospital before being transferred to San Diego jail. And uh, so there's no family members putting you know pressure on the sheriff's department or, or filing lawsuits to get more information. But what we found from his autopsy report is that for about two months that he was in the San Diego jails, he lost 50 pounds and and, and that, that's pretty significant you know and he yeah, that was
2: one quarter of his body weight yeah
1: and he, he died from from pneumonia and um you know the 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 medical examiner investigator who, who came to the jail to um cuz the guy um you know was died in his cell um described the cell and it was just horrible you know there was there was feces everywhere um you know when they found the man he had you know his underwear was pulled down and there were Feces in his underwear. So it just sounds like somebody who was who was decompensating, not in a, a mm-hmm. good state. And there there should have been warning signs. I mean, when someone loses 50 pounds.
2: Those are the warning signs. They just weren't acted on.
0: And uh, we also mentioned there are instances in which there are fights in jails and someone gets injured. So what happens exactly when an inmate hurts or ends up killing another inmate? What's the process after that?
1: Well, uh... Yeah, we, so we wrote about um, uh, Lyle Woodward. He, he also um, suffered from mental illness but was not put in the jail's uh, psychiatric unit or on uh, the psychi- psychiatric floor. Uh, he was put in a, a cell with a, another inmate who we believe suffered from mental illness. And, and uh, the attorneys for the family were able to, to get— um, some uh, records from the jails where a, a deputy kind of commented on. Sometimes we put the crazy guys together and we see what happens. And so Lyle Woodward was beaten to death by this inmate named Clinton Thin. And um, you know the jail was able to, to prove that that Mr. Thin um, killed Mr. Woodward. And, and there's a, a prosecution. Mm-hmm. You know as. If you know the, this the happen, death happened, happened outside, and um, yeah, so Clinton then was found guilty of, of of killing Lyle Woodward and um, sent to prison. Um, but now, Mr. Woodward's family is trying to find out why he was not um, being treated for his mental illness. Why yeah, he, he was neither of his
2: them cell. were being
0: treated. After hearing about a variety of things, this has to ultimately cost the taxpayer, right?
1: Yes. Uh, we found uh, we found that the amount of money uh, being paid to um, surviving family members of inmates who've died, uh, but also inmates who've sued the jail over an injury they suffered, um, increased from I believe it was two million dollars or 1.9 million in the uh, ten years prior to Bill Gore becoming sheriff, and then Jeff, correct so me if I'm wrong, almost eight million, went eight, up 8 8 fourfold, yes. Yeah, and um, and then there was recently a $12 million jury verdict in a case where uh, an inmate um, hadn't been checked on.
2: Yes, Uh, David Collins had been suffering from a sodium deficiency, uh, which caused him to act out. Uh, And he went for a walk outside his house, and a passerby uh, called 911 at Mr. Collins' request, saying, hey, I need help, I'm having this medical issue. When the paramedics came, they started doing their evaluation, Uh, thinking that maybe he needed medical help, as they were told in the 911 call. Well, a sheriff's deputy happened by at virtually the same time and was on his way to Vista Jail with somebody else that had been arrested for being drunk. Mm -hmm. Uh, They said to the paramedics, they the deputy said, we got it from here, this guy's drunk, and they uh, took Mr. Collins into custody on suspicion of being drunk in public, which, of course, is a crime. Uh, When he got to the jail, he didn't sober up. and in fact, that's because he wasn't drunk, and he had this uh, the sodium deficiency that caused him to lose consciousness. He fell down, he cracked his head, and uh, suffered significant brain damage. Uh, that was what led to the twelve million dollar jury verdict. Twelve million dollars is a lot. Uh, that's hasn't been paid out yet. It's mm-hmm. still being litigated. It will uh, it will uh, unfold in court later this uh, later
0: this year. So, as these costs are mounting, what are the steps that the county is taking to try to approve this problem, if at all?
1: As far as the County Board of Supervisors, we, you know, th- th- this is something that uh, Jeff and I have written about, both working on stories together and, and uh, separately reporting on this issue, um, you know, for years. And we've yet to see the County Board of Supervisors um, say anything about it, you know, um, kind of call the sheriff up and, and, you know, to the... Yeah, they treat each case
2: independent of one another. And so as they stack up and and people keep dying over and over and over, nobody's looking at the totality of the deaths. That's frankly what motivated us to finally step up and and examine this in greater detail. Uh, The sheriff will tell you that, uh, well, when they speak to you, uh, that they're trying to enhance training and trying to add staff to provide better uh, medical services, better mental health services. But everything they've tried hasn't worked. Uh, just last month, three three people died in jail just last month. So uh, it's a continuing problem.
1: And, you know, we have a really great, well, not a great example, but, uh, you know, kind of the sheriff will say they, they've added training. You know, they brought in a consultant to make recommendations on um, suicide prevention. But in March, a young man named Ivan Ortiz, um, he was in the jail's uh, psychiatric unit because he had— Previously tried to kill himself. Um, the morning of his death, he was found with a, with a noose in his cell and ligature marks around his neck. And mm-hmm. he said, "He said I'm going to kill myself. Voices are telling me to, to hurt myself." Nobody put him on suicide watch. Um, no one did anything. They put him back in his cell. He, he, for some reason, had a plastic bag in his cell. And he, even though he, he, there was a closed circuit uh, TV camera, um, someone was supposed to be monitoring him, watching the the feed from that camera. Um, he was able to put the cell, uh, the the plastic bag over his head and suffocate himself so that was just in March so the, mm-hmm. the sheriff's department can say they're doing everything they can to keep inmates safe but this was such an obvious lapse in judgment in policy and procedure that I, I I think really highlights the fact that, that that you know the these these reforms are not taking hold
0: mm-hmm. and for the families of those of individuals who have died in jail, have they won any legal victories that could potentially steer the course towards towards fewer people dying in jail?
2: Well, the funny thing is, well, it's, it's not funny at all, but when you die, that necessitates or, or by practice makes a lower settlement than if you're injured. So for Mr. Collins, for example, who was injured seriously and is going to have to pay medical expenses for the rest of his life, he's a young man, uh, that resulted in a $12 million verdict. Until the county keeps getting hit with multi-million dollar verdicts, they're probably not as likely to respond in, a, in an effective way. Uh, and when you, when you die, uh, you know, the earnings, are cal- that's, a, that's, a cal- that's, a, that's part of the calculus in what, what a settlement might be, uh, how much you made, whether you have kids, things like that. So all of those factors generally work to keep the settlement lower than what it might be if you were only injured.
1: And, you know, there's a um, young man uh, named uh, Robert Lubson who died in 2013, and um, his family agreed really early on in the case to settle. A huge thing for them was to be able to sit down with the sheriff and and tell him about, for his parents to talk to the sheriff and tell him about their son and and ensure that this would never happen again. Um, uh, Robert was able to jump off of a, a second tier um, in the Vista Jail. And and even though they did get that meeting, um, that didn't result in, in protective grates being put in all jails with two tiers. It, mm-hmm. it took years for that to happen, and more people jumped, um, were seriously injured. A, a, a man died in 2016. So even where we have a family saying, please make sure this doesn't happen again, you know it, it it continues for years before they actually make a simple fix like putting metal grates to keep people from from jumping
2: yeah not only that they resisted a lot of the recommendations for years yes. uh, recommendations by outside groups by plaintiffs counsel that would that would address the problem to ensure that it wouldn't happen again going forward and then after multiple times in some cases they've the sheriff's department has adopted the recommendations
0: mhm And finally, the politics of incarceration are becoming a louder part of the discourse recently. This is a lot of the criticisms that are being lobbied at, for instance, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden about their previous policies. So at what point is this just a symptom of what they say is over-incarceration?
1: Well, definitely, you know, folks with mental illness, jail is not the right place. They're not getting their meds. Um, they they're not in a, a setting where you know they can they're they're going to get treatment or um, you know the, the appropriate care and so you know that that's definitely a big issue is is what do you do with people whose crimes are tied to their mental illness or certain behavior that's because of their mental illness is interpreted as being on drugs being intoxicated you know and they end up in jail so yeah that, that that's a big issue moving forward is what do we do with these folks
2: mm-hmm. yeah the sheriff's department is the number one provider of mental health services in san diego county uh he dispenses uh god what is it one in three inmates are mentally ill or under psychotropic drugs and yeah and
1: i think it's it's actually much higher you yeah. know yeah
2: mm-hmm. so that's maybe two thousand people every day, which is a lot. And they all have different uh, regimens for Mm -hmm. prescription drugs, and they don't always get the exact prescription combination that their physicians, maybe on the outside, have required. So that exacerbates their mental illness.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. You know, we hope this story has um, an impact. Um, You know, we hope that policies that have been lingering are enacted. Um, Policies that have been implemented are adhered to and i would love to not hear about any more deaths or or suicides it's it's really tough you know when you find out three people died in august Mm
2: -hmm. the thing is um every time it happens there's a lack of i don't want to say accountability but when the practices that the department lays out are not followed Nobody's held to account and nobody's penalized. And, and when the county has to pay a million dollars or two million dollars to settle a, a, a lawsuit, it just comes out of the sheriff's department budget or the general fund and, and, and everybody goes about their business. So unless and until there's some demand or outrage from the community uh, for change, then probably it'll be business as usual, which yeah. is really disquieting.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Kelly Davis, Jeff McDonald. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. To read this series, go to uniontrip.com slash jail deaths. The first story is scheduled to go online Friday morning, and the series is planned for the print newspaper Sunday through Tuesday. In addition to investigative reporting from Kelly Davis and Jeff McDonald, data reporter Lauren Schroeder contributed to dying behind bars, as did reporter Lindsay Winkley. Digital presentation, video, and graphics came from Jared Valliere, Michelle Golcrest, Christina Bivick, and Gloria Orbagoza. The project was edited by Denise Amos and Ricky Young. If you want to suggest an investigative story, go to uniontrip.com watchdogtips. Until next time.